Now, where did I put it? Hmm. Ah, here it is. Welcome to the Toolbox, where we discuss the tools we utilize every day. Yours to use or toss, it's up to you. But I hope you enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to Tools for the Toolbox. I am Chance Burles, as you know, and I have an absolutely fantastic guest, and I am really excited to get into this, so I'm going to kick it off the way I always do with, who are you, and what is your military background? Yeah, hi. Um, so my name is Whitney Young, um, and uh, I think I kind of have a bit of an eclectic military background. Um, so uh, I currently am serving in the Canadian military, um, and I'm an infantry sergeant. And uh, I joined when I was like literally like 10 days after 16. So like we can join when we're 16. And I was like, I'm going to do it. And uh, my dad is in the military. Um, he, uh, he actually retired as a general. So for much of my career, I was the general's daughter, which was uh, wow. a load of fun. And uh, yeah. so I joined and I joined the infantry because my dad was in the infantry and I was 16 and I knew everything. So I did. Yep, that makes perfect sense. Uh, 20-ish yep. years later, uh, I understand why maybe my dad would have thought that that wasn't the greatest decision. However, um, I did it, uh, and I, like, beetled off to my QL2, QL3 uh, at uh, 16. Uh, I did a bunch of the reserve stuff through high school. Uh, I did it through uh, university, had the Army pay for that. Uh, and then I started mm -hmm. working full-time Class B contracts. Uh, and then I, uh, I applied kind of like out of the blue, thought it was like a shoot for the stars, um, for a position in, uh, CSOR, which is the Canadian Special Operations Regiment. Uh, and I was selected for the position and I started working in their recruiting shop. Uh, and that Wicked. was, uh, fantastic. Uh, so I worked in there and then I worked myself out of a job through a promotion. So I, uh, moved into <laughs> individual training. Uh, and that gave me a lot of flexibility to start working as an instructor um, on a lot of specialized courses. Uh, and I got involved in some mental agility training and kind of helping to co-facilitate that um, in that organization. And that's really what kind of started uh, my passion into mental health. Uh, and I guess we'll probably dive into that in the conversation. Oh, yeah. uh, so yeah. uh, my husband, uh, he's a, we're a dual service couple. Uh, he works here in Ottawa, so I took a position uh, in Ottawa here at uh, the Transition Centers, uh, which when I came here uh, in 2017, it was uh, the JPSU and then it became the IPSC. Now there's a transition group. Uh, and I worked as a uh, section commander. Uh, so basically all of the in ill and injured soldiers uh, that were releasing medically, uh, they mm -hmm. came under our caseloads. Uh, and we helped them move through that uh, process. Uh, and that was kind of it for me. I uh, knew that mental health and uh, support was where I needed to be. Uh, so uh, that's where that kind of stands from a military background. Well, that's fantastic. You know, one of the things I really learned very quickly was being an instructor was so rewarding. <laughs> And being able to see people, I called it the, uh, <clears throat> the aha moments. And you could like, you can see it when the, their eyes light up and they grasp a concept and just ding. And you're like, yes, yes. Like I had a kid that, uh, we were talking about machine gun theory yeah. and in the middle of it, I was talking about the beaten zone and he just kind of like, 
Oh. <laughs> I was laid down. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. And uh, it, it was one of the most rewarding experiences. And then I also found, like, I learned so much about myself. I was able to actually take the time and go, you know, wow, I'm these ki- these kids, literal kids, are looking at me going, holy crap, Vasco Burroughs is angry at me. <laughs> like, oh, geez. And it, it, it really makes you look at yourself and go, okay, well, why am I angry right now? Huge. Is it huge. You know, just such a huge leap? And I, I, I love talking to other instructors too because uh, we just we look at things a little differently. Oh, huge. Absolutely. I think <laughs> when you're saying that, it made me think of like in terms of like growth as an instructor. Uh, my first mm-hmm. BMQ that I ever taught on, um, you know, I was like the fresh master corporal just off my PLQ. I knew the world. And uh, yep. the only negative point I've ever gotten in a part five uh, was that, you know, Master Corporal Young needs to understand that the recruits, um, like, sometimes basically was like learn at a different speed um, and don't know all the material because I would get frustrated. Like, how, how does he not get this? Like, how are they not picking this up? And that was like a complete flip for me where I was like, oh, yep. right. Yeah, they don't know this yeah, yet. People learn differently. <laughs> and then, you know, it's just, it moved from there. But like teaching is, oh, there's something in the soul for that. So, yeah. Yep. And I think this is why, you know, mental health has been such a step for me as well as mm-hmm. you is that we get to see those moments. We get to have those uh, uh, experiences with people as they start to realize their own mental health and their own uh, strengths, their own weaknesses. And you're like, yeah, there you oh, go. Yeah. I love it. You get to pass all that stuff on. Um, so you've been in so six, you were in for the year. Are you, you're still serving? I'm though. still serving. You were about and to do math there. For what? 20 years? 20 years. Yeah, it was about to do math. So you can see it, right? Like, not trying uh, to call that arms for math. Like, <laughs> well, I was an engineer. Yeah, that's what's I'm supposed to be able to do math, right? Yeah. Pick up my fingers. Yes. Yeah, so I did. I actually yeah. just passed my 20 years um, in June. Um, so 20 wow. years. Uh, and now um, I am medically releasing. Uh, so I have a PTSD diagnosis from my service. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, after 20 years in, in the infantry, there's like the back, the neck, the shoulders. I always think of it like yep. military service, like dog years. Where like you know, it was like yes. one to seven sort of thing. So it's like for every one yes. year in the military, your body is actually like seven years older. So I'm like actually like ninety. Uh, yep. So uh, I'm yep. in the transitioning process, uh, which is kind of interesting. Okay. Being uh, a section commander that was assisting in the transition process, and then uh, going mm-hmm. through the transition process myself. So um, yeah, I spend. I'm a I'm a grad student now. Uh, so in my nice. in my transition process, um, I'm doing my master's of military psychology uh, with a specialization mm-hmm. in military mental health. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like a dream program for someone like me. I'm just like I get to go to school and learn about this stuff. It's fantastic. Um, so I do that, um, and then anybody that's medically or even just released from the military knows the slew of appointments and paperwork that goes with it. So I'm managing that. Um, I'm also mm-hmm. a mom. I have a fabulous little two-year-old who keeps me on the toes. And uh, because I'm a service couple, I'm actually, uh, my husband is deployed right now, so I'm doing the momming yep. all on my own. Um, and then uh, I'll be releasing from the military on the 13th of October and transitioning into the civilian sector for D&D. 
um, teaching mental oh, wow. health, which is fantastic, yep. uh, on the 14th of October. So super busy. And then somewhere in there, I try and like eat and like try to take care of yourself sometimes. and do stuff. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. I remember that feeling and, uh, especially transitioning was, it was very hard because I was still mass corporal burrows. Like I had left the instructor cadre in Meaford and drove home. So I had a brand new five month old baby and my wife and I was like, the knife hand was just, <laughs> it was all over the place. Uh, and you know, I had lots of difficulties and I learned a lot of lessons very quickly. <laughs> well, probably not quickly enough for my wife, but yeah, quickly totally. as I could, whatever. Right. And, uh, I was good. I normally ask everybody about their transition and how they, um, lessons they could pass on. But I think what would be really great was what do you pass on to people that are transitioning? Because you're in your transition right now. Yeah. I mean, you, this is part of your job, but what is, do you think the most often do you say to people about their transition, how they can make it easier, how yeah. they can help themselves? What is that thing that comes up most? I'd say it's threefold. So my first one is time. Um, don't think that this is something that like you can just wake up one day and be like, I'm leaving the army and you do. Now, some people do, you can leave the army in like, you know, 30 days, depending on your, your timing. Um, but it is a process, uh, and yeah. it takes time. And I think, um, anybody who's been in that process knows that you don't really even know that you're in the process until like halfway through. And then there's this big, like, oh my goodness moments. Um, and then you kind of work your way down the other side. Um, so time mm -hmm. is, is number one, use every second and plan as far ahead as you possibly can. Um, the second one is use every single service that is available. Um, I'm a little more bold when I tell it to other people. And I'm just like, take the army for every service they can give you. Yeah, um, but my thought process on that, because a lot of people are very hesitant um, in seeking services for a variety of different reasons. Uh, but the services that are available are, are excellent compensation, especially in comparison to a lot of our, our partner forces around the world. Yep. However, even at the maximum, it will never make up for the sacrifices, the pain, whatever the injury is. Um, so use it and yep. you're not taking the system like the the services are there and if you're eligible for them use them full out yeah. use all of them and then you'll be able to figure out what you do need and what you don't need uh which is um you know it's critical and then the third one um and i think we'll probably get into it based on some of the questions for peer support is find strength in being your own advocate um and if you if you can't find somebody who will, um, because yes. that there's so many different aspects of the release process and the transition is, it's a, it's years. It's a process that goes on for years. Um, and you need to be able to find the strength and being able to, you know, be an advocate for yourself in a system that still exists with rank structure. Um, but in that system, there are golden nuggets of human beings yeah. who you can, connect with that will be those advocates for you. Absolutely. Um, the, <clears throat> the thing that really kind of piqued me there that I, I was going to talk to was, uh, your second point in that there is so much to do 
when you get out. And if you can, if you can use anything that the army gives you, one of the things my wife told me very early on was others have fought entire careers just to give you the opportunity to have that whatever, yeah. right? Uh, when we were canoeing and I was talking about the fact that we can, you know, you can get up to 52, 52 uh, massages a year if uh, your docs are approving along the way, like, take it. <laughs> it's, it's there because others fought for your ability to have it. And, you know, army guys, combat arms especially, were constantly taught and throughout our whole careers is look after the one that is the worst, right? Triage is key. Get to that guy, get him the hell out, do whatever you need to do and get him okay. And then do yourself last. It's always yourself last. It's always everybody else. And then it's yeah. you. It's like cleaning uh, weapons, right? And, like section yeah, weapons all the way down. And like, I mean, if your pistol's clean, like, whoa, you had lots of time. <laughs> yeah, you got more time than you could ever use ever uh, in the army. But it, it affects us after we're out when we say, you know, hey, man, I, I'd really love to go get a massage right now. But, you know, then I got to go through the paperwork and I got to talk to this person, and that person. But it is 100% worth it. And I got really lucky uh, when I left Meaford because the I was the only person releasing at the time. And there was one VA um, representative so like, on base. Like VIP service. Right. I just walked in the door and she's like, oh, yeah, okay, you're releasing. Here's the paperwork. Fill this out, fill this out. Sign, 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 sign. And I'm like, what am I signing? She's like, we're applying for everything. Yeah. And just what, like throw it at the wall, see what sticks, right? And hope for the best. Well, and, and that's exactly it. Like put it out there. Like the worst thing that's going to happen is no. Yep. And you're going to get it in an envelope. It's not even someone's going to tell you no. You're just going to get like, oh, shit, I guess I don't get that. <laughs> Move on, Absolutely. Right? And I find, at least with my own experience, that like if there's any questions about like certain parts of the claims process and everything, like you can reach out to them on like the private like messaging system in your bank yes. account. And, like somebody mm -hmm. always gets back to you in 48 hours. Always. Yep. So like it's not bad. Yeah, and I think it's a lot of it's really you know I have a lot of friends that have difficulties getting through the VA bureaucracy, Absolutely. right? I'm sure you do too. Um, I have a lot of people that have no problem getting through it as well. So, and I found a lot of it actually had to do with rank. And the funny thing that I found about that was you have to do more admin as you get higher up. So you're used to doing the paperwork sure. and sending the emails and constantly checking the stuff and going back and talking to this person, asking that person, blah, blah, blah. Especially if you were in like an ops position where you're, doing that anyway, it's pretty simple. If you just, you send the emails, you do the time, you take the, uh, the initiative to drive that forward. And I find a lot of the privates and the corporals who didn't have to do that when they got yeah. out or before they got out, have a hugely hard time yeah. pounding through that. And they don't work. have a voice. I think that's like a big difference too, is that like the higher you move yeah. up the rank structure, the more your voice is paid attention to. So you have, you know, that, that experience moving forward. So, you know, mm -hmm. a major advocating for himself with uh, Veterans Affairs is going to be a lot different conversation than the majority of privates uh, that have been used yes. to, you know, you basically have to like, it's like going to kindergarten. <laughs> you get your name duct taped onto you basically. And like, you have to ask <laughs> someone to go pee and like, yeah. All your like normal body movements that you like attend to as an adult, you now have to ask for permission for. So, you know, a private going yep. 
out of their way to say like, hey, I, you know, I'm having back issues and I think I might need massages. Like, how in the world do you even begin to advocate for yourself at that point? So, yeah. uh, Not only that, you, you get it suppressed <laughs> regularly, right? When you do have a voice and you say, oh, you know, my back kind of hurts. And that one warrant's like, I've been in the army for 25 fucking years. My back is fine. You shut your mouth. And you're like, all right, cool, man. Like, <laughs> all right, like it. So not only do do the you know you did lower ranks not have a voice, they it is actively suppressed. Yeah, absolutely. It's part and of the process. And then on top process. of that, well, and it's true though, right? Like, there's a point where you have to go. Okay, you know, the push the pain aside. Work, what? right? That's the whole point of the job. But once you're out of the job, you have to be able to say, hey, man, like I one of my examples was when I got out. I got sent to the OSI clinic here in Edmonton and I just went, I no thought, no question to it. All right. Yeah. That's where I got to go. And I sat and I worked with this doctor for about a year and I got worse and worse and worse and worse over that year. Uh, and I realized after six months that I had to continually remind him that what my son's name was, even though I saw him every week and I talked about my son every session and it's like he's not really paying attention to me but i kept going and then i had a buddy of mine finally i was complaining about it and he was like you know you could just see whoever you want right like as long as they're covered by blue cross you can just see who i was like i hadn't even thought yeah, of that the, before the army gave this to me that's just what i do yeah. and it's, it's a bit of a and misnomer I, too that in the military you have the uh, right to ask for a different care provider. Like, there is something that is absolutely critical in the doctor-patient relationship is like the therapeutic relationship or bedside manner in which like everybody interacts. So especially mm -hmm. when you're dealing with mental health, if you can't connect with your care provider, it, it's not going to work. But, you know, they... People don't necessarily know that in the military, you can be like, hey, this social worker just, we didn't connect. Can I try someone else? They'll just grind yep. it out. And then you end up having a bad taste in your mouth about, you know, mental health services and it kind of degrades down there. But we yep. we're not very good at being able to let people know that they can advocate for themselves um, in certain aspects uh, of their care. Absolutely. And, you know, this... This is why I think the peer support method works so well is because you have people who know what we're actually talking about. We don't need to explain what a section attack is. We don't need to explain why we were doing a VPS or what, like it was just, they have context. I had a whole conversation with the Pantry uh, podcast yeah, voice. That was was hilarious. Like, I loved it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, was that you need context, right? Yeah. The, the average civilian has no contextual grasp as to what we do. That's for a reason. They didn't do what yeah. we did. And the average psychologist who, you know, is doing a, a stint or, a, you know, two years or whatever on a base just to get their check marks to move on, they have no concept of what we do either. And we have to give them that context. But why peer support, I think, works so well is because that context is there, yeah. right? And we have it. And this, this leads into what I want to talk to you about through the whole podcast was, like, I think when people envision what peer support is they think of like an aa meeting yep. right people sitting around a circle saying hey i'm chance i'm an alcoholic that kind of thing and then just sharing stories but there's so much more to it yeah. so 
as someone who is actively studying this, <laughs> what is peer support? That is an excellent question. Um, so I was pondering it. I'm like, how does one actually explain it? And like, I didn't want to be like, Webster's Dictionary describes peer support <laughs> like that. Like, we're not doing that. So mm -hmm. peer support, I think, is, uh, you know, it's, it's the gray space um, between the formal and the informal supports um, that exists. And I think what you uh, were talking about before is something that I lean into, which is um, organic cultural competency and where, you know, there is this base layer of mutual understanding between all parties, whether it's uh, the individuals providing the service or the ones that are receiving the service. There's like this base language that everybody understands. And mm -hmm. that is not something that you can achieve through PowerPoint or watching a video or reading a book. This is something that is only going to develop through um, your own experience. Uh, and that mm -hmm. I think is where, you know, the step off point is for that. And, you know, peer support is um, within itself, there are formal peer support systems and informal peer support systems. Um, so it, you know, it, it depends. Like AA is a, a more formal peer support system. They've got a structure, things like that. But informal can also be kind of what we were talking about um, before uh, the show when uh, you were just chatting with your friends and you had these these deep conversations. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, there was a study that was done in the 1960s. Uh, about uh, therapeutic conversations. And it was based off research that uh, individuals had done about the conversations that soldiers were having with each other uh, when they were coming back from war. So, you know, however many days or weeks they were sitting on those ships coming all the way back mm -hmm. to Canada, conversations are what were being had. Um, and, you know, there is some evidence to show that those conversations may have um, been supportive to individuals in, in the terms of like post-traumatic stress disorder, which they didn't really understand at that point. Um, yep. But it was that organic, naturally occurring conversations between those that have mutual experiences um, that are highly beneficial. And, you know, now today research shows that there are um, group therapies that uh, far surpass the uh, ability for some people to do individual therapy. Um, and I mean, it's, it's obviously very much individualized. Different therapies don't work for everybody. Um, yep. But there is something intangible in peer support. Uh, and it, it just, it either happens or it doesn't. Um, and I think the organizations that that strive to provide it on a more formal basis are just are just shaping the relationship. That's all they're doing. They're you know they're providing a location, they're providing a topic, they're providing um, individuals who may be um, more qualified in that area or not. Um, but they're just taking that conversation that was happening on the boat in World War II on the way home, and they're just they're shaping mm -hmm. it and making it a little bit more formal. So, you know, maybe not the Webster's Dictionary, but uh, that's Whitney's opinion on what peer support is. <laughs> no, I, I think that's really, it, it's really valid in the fact that, especially like, <clears throat> uh, I'm sure you've read On Combat by Dave Grothling. Yeah, it's literally one of uh, my textbooks for my course. <laughs> <laughs> so I, 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 got to, I got to read that while I was in Afghanistan. Uh, and it was like, 
super helpful because there were days I'd come back from a firefight and somebody was like, dude, did you see that RPG fly overhead? And I'm like, what? No. Like, <laughs> no, when, when did that happen? Uh, and then I, I was reading actually in that chapter was talking about auditory and visual exclusion. And I was just like, oh, oh, that's probably why I didn't see it. Right? Like, yeah. Uh, so it helped me manage those symptoms really quickly because it just read it. But in that book, he talks about, you know, the, uh, medieval warfare where you would have these really intimate battles where you are literally ripping people apart and then you'd go at the end of the night when you can't fight at nighttime and you'd sit around the fire and there'd be that grizzled old sergeant who's just sitting there and the young brand new dude is like man i saw this dude's heads explode and he's like yeah that happens right like it just that immediate connection of whatever you're feeling is normal we've all been there you're good yeah. to go and having that uh, that gray area in between the, the formalized and the non-formalized of just just support is <laughs> so key. It, it, it's absolutely um, critical. And I was thinking, I was like, how do I make an analogy about it? I was thinking about it like it's like, you know, picking a book. Um, you know, you're, like you walk through and it's like 10 people can read the same book. You know, five people love it and four people are like, what in the world? One person's just like, I didn't even read it. Right. Like, mm -hmm. and that's what peer support groups are. Like they can all be providing the same service, but they, they just don't connect. Um, and I think that that mm -hmm. is probably, you know, a, a message that needs to be, you know, a, a little bolder in the community is that you might have to try a few. Um, and that's normal. Like you don't have to go to that same group just because it's there, because that's what we're used to doing in the military. You have the ability yep. to, to try it out. Um, and you know, I've had uh, individuals that like blew my mind, the support groups that they ended up um, working with. Like I had an individual, oh, I can't even remember it. Uh, the people who do like speaking, like public speaking in like church oh, basements yeah, yeah. and stuff. Um, yep. He ended up working with them. I would never have pegged that in a million years. Um, but it That's like, like the the speech people. I can't remember. Yeah. The name. I can't remember the name, I'm but yeah, Google I hear what you're saying. Sorry, bro. Yeah, it'll come up yeah. like 20 minutes into the podcast. We'll be like, there it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there it is. There. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like it's just it's they're all unique, and so are we. Yeah. Um, so if you can be patient with yourself in the process, which is like a daily struggle for me, uh, to be able to like allow yourself the time um, to pick one that works or doesn't work. Yeah. And, you know, this is, you know, one of the benefits of understanding your own boundaries, right? Like, I, I'm i a big proponent of equine therapy. I grew up around animals, grew up around horses, grew up around cattle. Like, I, it makes sense to me that to work with horses, that it just, it clicked. And I, I saw huge leaps in my own recovery just from working around horses. But I also know dudes that are allergic to horses, <laughs> or that are scared of horses no, right. or that are, you know, like absolutely phobic of it and will never yeah, go near one. And like, I'm like, okay, well, to the trauma, like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, Oh, you're scared of horses. Let's go near this 1600 pound animal. I'm like, Oh, that fun. Um, but it, it comes down to, you know, actually recognizing your own boundaries and going, Oh, you know what? I don't like, you could go to a, a group chat and be like, you know what? I don't want to sit around and listen to people bitch. Okay, yep. fine. But then you go to the same group and you can do like one of the op vet build things where they build models. Yeah. Oh yeah. And there's not there's not a lot of chatting, but there's some, and it 
that might work for you. But that's part of you advocating for yourself, as we were saying earlier, right? And creating boundaries and saying, you know what? I, I need to find something, but this isn't yep. working. And then going from there. Um, do you have any, do you, have, do you find that, do you have any tips on somebody that, that is having trouble managing those boundaries Ooh. or advocating for themselves? Yeah, that's a tough one because like I, I don't shy down from a fight. Uh, anybody who's worked with me, like I'm, I'm, I'm gung ho, especially in the, in, in what? No. <laughs> like advocacy. Like I, I struggle with people who, um, can't access resources for, you know, whatever the challenge is, um, or, or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. So for me, when I have the uniform on, like, like I'm gone, I can do it. Um, but you turn that on yourself, uh, and it's just as challenging. And I have all the skills and I have all of the knowledge. Um, and even I struggle. So I think that the big one is, is normalization and that there is no part of this process that really is easy. Um, and, you know, I think sometimes people are a little naive going into the process and like, it'll be fine. Um, and there's better transitions um, and, and worse transitions and then different levels in between. Um, but transitioning is hard regardless. Uh, and mm -hmm. you can be patient with yourself in those challenges and know that you are not the only person going through those challenges. Uh, that helps. And I think that that brings to a really important part of peer support is connectedness um, as human beings. So like you, you mentioned the, the models, right? Like you don't have to be verbally communicating with someone to connect. It could just be a bunch mm -hmm. of people sitting around a table building little Bismarcks and stuff. And like, yep. there's a connectedness there because there'll be some, you know, in the veteran community, there will be some that like, they want to go out and talk. And then there's the others that they want to step to the background and they just want to be present. Uh, and I think mm -hmm. if you can allow yourself the patience to figure out which one of those you are. Um, mm -hmm. And the other thing is trust your gut. If it is, if there's something that's giving you like the EBGBs and like, it's just like you're walking away and you're not feeling good, don't do it. No Sergeant Major yeah. is making you do it. You, you mm -hmm. can choose, you have that option and your gut is you. So like even your, your, even though someone's gut might say like that program doesn't work and like it rocked my world, don't compare. Don't compare because yeah. we have different life experiences. We have different challenges. We have different goals. Um, and it just didn't work for you, but it worked for me. And probably the flip side would be things that worked for them would not, you know, be something I'm interested in either. Well, this is the, the basis of, you know, you can't compare trauma, right? You, you Two people could be in the same firefight in the same position and they will experience it completely differently. Sure. So there, if you can't compare trauma, why would you compare uh, recovery? Yeah, absolutely. Right. And your recovery might take 10 years. Mine that might take 10 months. So yeah. what? That <laughs> doesn't matter. It, it's, it's about guilt moving forward. And, you know, I say this on my podcast all the time. I say it in social media all the time. Is that like, you just have to begin. And I, there's a line in, um, uh, the Martian, you know, the movie with Matt yeah. Damon and it's <laughs> in the, the book, I think too. And it's right at the end where he's like, it's like, um, you know, I, I made 
potatoes with my own shit and all this other stuff. And then he goes, you know what? The, the real thing is space doesn't, uh, uh, it doesn't cooperate. So you just have to solve one problem and then solve the next and then solve the next. And you just begin. And that's how it starts. And when I tell anybody that's having a hard time, it's just like, what's the, what is the first thing you need to do? What is the one thing you need to do today? Do it. Doesn't work. Okay. Try tomorrow. Right. (laughs) Pound that into you. And that's one of the challenges is dealing with those either failures, which is super challenging, especially for the, the combat arms, uh, I, I, I use the combat arm specifically because that's yeah, what I know. Absolutely. I, mean, I can't Yeah. So I can't say that, you know, working in supply is not as uh as difficult as this or transitioning from supply is not as difficult as this because I just don't know. But for my uh experience in dealing with other combat arms people, failure is horrifying. And it, it is demoralizing and it depressing and it just be, it will beat the living shit out of yourself failure equals for, punishment in the military exactly yes or death, death. right death. like that you know, well that i i like i just recorded uh something that i'm going to be releasing a little while about about um a minefield and there's there's ways through a yeah. minefield there's safe ways there's not safe ways and there's ways to make yourself dead real fast and the, the, the thing is, if you make a mistake, either you die or somebody yeah. else dies. And so we live in this world of huge consequences. And when you're out and you're like, well, I didn't get that paperwork in, you know what happens? Fucking nothing. <laughs> Absolutely. I actually like using the word correction um, in uh, like post-military because, you know, failure is such uh, a term that that we associate with a lot of our military experiences that are not positive. Uh, so on, yeah. on the, you know, the transition side, uh, if something doesn't go the way you thought that it was, um, I don't see it as a failure. I see it as a correction because if you think about like correction in a drill correction on like, how are you using a weapon? Like nobody's just like, Oh gosh, my world is over. It's just like, Oh, okay. I have to move this. <laughs> that's, that's about it. And so it's just that it's like having, um, bumpers in a bowling alley, right? Like, it's just like, yeah. oh, I tried, boop, nope, that one didn't work. That one just bumped me back. That's mm-hmm. that all it is. It's just slight corrections as you like move on course and they're good. Like they, they actually have positive um, messaging to you because you can understand what didn't work. You're like, oh, well, I don't need to waste yeah. my time on that. Like there's no what ifs. It's just that one didn't work and I can move on to the next step. So it's, you know, it's, a positive aspect um, to it, and mm-hmm. you know, you can just flip the way we think about it. Um, you know, I, I find it beneficial, but terminology is super important because it's you know very triggering for individuals because we associate certain yeah. words with certain things. Absolutely. I mean, we talked about this uh, on the canoe trip. We were sitting around the fire, and I was stating that you know, like <clears throat> if you when I talk to airborne guys, I use airborne vernacular. When I talk to engineers, I use engineer vernacular because those words are so trained into us. And I I I know that if sitting around a bunch of vets, even uh, even the the police officers and the the paramedics and stuff like that. If I were just to stand up and yell stand too, I think every single one of us would just like, like what? What's that? Oh, right. Everybody okay, just never mind. Just like, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like what's happening? But it's because of those words, because they're so drilled yeah. into us, 
you know it it becomes so yeah you're absolutely right and like the vernacular is key and um you, you made me think of when i was an instructor i don't know how many times i heard this on my plq right don't say sorry correct yourself and move on so if you make a mistake or you you know, fumble your words or whatever and you just stop correction this and you move on that's it's exactly the same thing right you're just you're making the correction mistakes happen yeah. whatever push on right i think that's fantastic but one of the other challenges uh i found from being in advocacy and working with other people is the success part of it right there when you see people succeeding it it can be demoralizing when you're not at that point yeah Right, Absolutely. because you're watching somebody else get farther than you are, and you're like, ah, fuck, why am I not? So blah 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 blah, and it can be really difficult. So when you're talking peer support, and when you're dealing with uh, large groups of people, I, I I have this meme that I made years ago, and it's a dude climbing up a mountain, and he's like, almost there almost there and then you can see the peak and he's like almost there and he gets over the peak and it's just a false yeah. peak and he's got a whole nother mountain and he's just... just around the corner guys <laughs> exactly right Is it? um and the original meme was like ah fuck and he put his head down and then i changed it to good and i was like that and i started using that vernacular i mean i'm wearing my good shirt oh, right now nice. but uh i wore my peer support shirt it, be a good human which is very good. That's awesome. Be just how simple right. is that? <laughs> it's not that hard, but it apparently is really difficult for some people. Um, but I started to, to look at the next challenge, like completing the one as a, like I took a second. Yay. Good. Awesome. Okay. Now to the yeah. next one. So what would you, when people are having issues with success or people who have succeeded in a moment and then have stopped, how do you get them rolling again? How do you get them pushing forward? That's a forward? good question. I'm a, a big advocate of understanding like the underlying, um, not justification, but like reason why we think the way we think or why we do the things that we do. Um, and mm -hmm. so in, in the military, we are ranked against each other from day one. Like, there's mm -hmm. a top candidate and a bottom candidate. And like every week you're in the top, middle or bottom third. Like you're, you're always competing against each other, whether intentionally or unintentionally, or someone is like ranking you. So it's incredibly challenging for people, um, like especially veterans when they are transitioning and they see other veterans that are doing really, really well, or, you know, maybe worse and then they feel better. Um, mm -hmm it's ingrained in inside of us. So if you can, if you can come to a base understanding of like, that's where it starts, that's where, it, that's where it stems from, then you can move to a bigger understanding of why that's not necessary anymore. Like, you're not getting PERs, you're not having to fight for master corporals, there's like, none of that is happening. Mm -hmm. um, so enjoy the successes, um, if you can, uh, because that was all you. You did that success. And, you know, I don't know if it comes with age um, or with like parenthood, but you start kind of looking at things a little bit differently where, you know, the end of the world things are kind of no longer end of the world. Um, and that 
comes with time so it kind of leads back to what we were talking before about like patience and being kind to yourself and understanding the mm -hmm. process um but uh you know i think we talked about it uh when we were on the canoe trip about uh, a concept called the highlight reel um and i'm a, a, a huge advocate of that uh, because it's the complete opposite of everything you do in the military so um, a highlight reel is basically like if you think of a highlight reel, like a trailer from a movie, this is, you know, there's, mm -hmm. it's all the good parts. And then there's some movies you don't even need to watch because the trailer just had the good parts. So like nobody's yeah. going to put out a trailer of like the worst, most boring parts of a movie. It's never going to happen because nobody watches it. But we watch. Bunch of dudes sitting in chairs staring at each right? other. But we watch ours yeah. all the time. Nobody watches their yeah. own highlight reel of like when they just totally crushed something. So like, that's a technique I try and use with soldiers as they're either like moving through that process um, or they're kind of stuck in, in a bit of it and be like, let's go back and think about, or you can take some time to think about, of, you know, give me just one minute where like in your career, you were a rock star and it could have been just like mm -hmm. the most recent success or it could have been something. And then it kind of changes how your brain is moving itself through challenges because you can remember be like, oh, yeah, wait a minute. There were some, there were some times where I was pretty badass and, and that's a, that's an okay thing. Like you can give yourself permission to be like, I was good at that or that felt yep. really good. Um, it's okay. And if you can kind of see those, uh, those moments and remind yourself of them, um, they're incredibly helpful. And I mean, I think I talked to you guys about um, a Bravo Zulu folder. So I have a, 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 like a literal BZ folder in both my civilian and my, and my work emails. Uh, and about 10 years ago, when I really started getting into this stuff, I would like, and I like, I had to fight myself mentally on it to like drag an email where somebody gave me a, compliment and then i just like <laughs> what is that a compliment just, like, drag it over. <laughs> getting like more comfortable with the fact where i'd have like a crap meeting or crap interaction and then i'd like go back to my folder and read it i'll be like oh yeah okay all right and you know like sometimes it takes two minutes sometimes like two hours sometimes it takes two days but the more you become accustomed to it, the easier it becomes. And like, you know, now it takes me five minutes for certain things that would have taken me days, years ago. Um, so, you know, it's, it's part of the learning process. Absolutely. It, you know, the, um, I actually just recently did this and I don't actually have a folder for it, but um, I, I've struggled with years of giving myself the, the credit for doing something. So I've recently, we're 98% finished doing my basement, like renovating my basement. And when when uh, we bought the place, it was a completely unfinished basement, concrete floors, two by fours around the walls. That was it. And I have- Are you in it right now? Personal, yeah, I'm in it right now, yeah. And that's the, like, I've, uh, I did all the electrical, I did all the framing, I did all the uh, drywall, I did all the painting. I mean, I had people come in and help periodically. Yeah. You know, 90% of the work I've done myself and I've at no point up until a little bit of uh, maybe like, I think three or four, it was actually, I think right when I got back from Warrior Adventure Canada trip, when I was sitting there, I was just kind of like staring at, at the walls and I'm like, you know, I, I, I built this. Yeah. And this is pretty awesome. Like, I, you know, I actually, I laid the With carpet, <laughs> I laid like, 
I, I did it with my own two feet, with my own two hands. And, uh, and then actually weeks ago, before I we went to the trip, um, I was going through a bunch of old file folders and we had your, as the office is now done, we were, uh, putting everything away and I found my old UER Ooh. with my PRs and stuff in it. And I was like reading some of them and they were, they were great. Lots of them. Things were like, you know, Sapper Burles leads the, ch leads the charge. Didn't think PT was hard enough. So he came up with his own PT plan, right? Just little stuff yeah. like that. And I was just like, you know, that makes me feel good. Cause I, I remember leaving that unit being a really angry, bitter corporal. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, so it was nice to, to have those little folders and you're right finding those successes and then actually accepting yeah. saying, yes, I did good yeah. is super important. Um, and it actually helped me when I started getting involved into advocacy years ago, I was waiting for this paragon to show up from the hill. Right. And just be like this, some tier one operator is going to come down and be like, all right, like general Lowe is going to come down and he's going to retire and be like, all right, boys, this is the way forward. Everybody follow me. And I think it was like a year or so in, and I was just like, I don't think anybody's coming, yeah. man. <laughs> and I had to take it upon myself. And I was like, well, I guess if nobody else is doing this, I'll start. And if somebody better comes along the way, fucking cool. Let them, let them take over. Like, let's, we'll keep pushing forward. And I think this is the, the, the key point, at least in my head was you have to lead your own path. You have to lead the way. And if others follow you, awesome. If not, cool. Like you're still leading the charge for yourself. And if nobody else shows up to do it better, then obviously you're doing a good job. Okay, Adam, well, I don't know if you saw me there. I like wrote two things down because you you triggered me, and then of course, like obviously PTSD brain, like it could be gone in twenty yeah. seconds. Oh, so for sure. um, the first one is uh, there's a, a video on YouTube somewhere out in the internet world, but um, basically there there's like a a rock concert somewhere where people are obviously doing a lot of things and have probably consumed a lot of substances. Perhaps, maybe. Never at a music concert. So <laughs> there, there's this uh, chick that just kind of gets up from her picnic blanket and she's just dancing on the hill. Like, not good, just dancing. And she's going and yep. going and going. And then, like, somebody else is like, you know what? I want to dance like that too. And then they get up and dance. And then like within minutes, there's like hundreds of people there. And I've really kind of likened like the leading of peer support to that because, you know, a lot of people, when you, you start peer support programming or you're involved in that process, they're, you know, like, oh, it's amazing. And you've done so much and be like, I was kind of just the crazy person who stood up and started dancing. <laughs> and like everybody yeah. else who started dancing did the work. Um, and that's, you know, that's that's how it goes and it's um it's organic so the, the the second point that i wrote down there was when i was working with um the special forces unit in petawawa um I, I was married at the time and i well i was single coming in and then became married so i was a single person for a bunch of the years i was there and then i was a, a service spouse and i saw the experience from a completely different perspective and um, at the time, um, you know, the calf was ramping down in Afghanistan. 
um, but you know, Cansoftcom was still deploying. Um, and there ended up being a significant gap in services uh, when you have, you know, a special forces base uh, that's on a, a regular force base, you know, there's a there's always competition for resources. So um, I saw that there was this gap and mostly because I started experiencing myself. It's not that it wasn't there before. I just it was now in my world. Um, and then because yep. I never down from a fight i like became like the person in the back of the o group that was like so about resources <laughs> and this one went on for a couple of months and then uh you know we got a new uh, i think it was a dco uh lovely lovely guy and uh it was our you know first o group and the hand was going up except like he was new and he didn't know about the hand uh, and he just looked at me, he was like, well, you know, Sergeant Young, you're a senior NCO, you can make changes. I remember going back to my work. office, I was like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Uh, and then I was like, <laughs> what have I done? So it started as a conversation um, in uh, my kitchen with two nice. other fabulous women. And, mm-hmm. you know, we we started talking kind of like about like the conversation you and I were having before, and it was just, it was organic. But there were a lot of components to, you know, standing up peer support organizations that, uh, you know, you have to factor in. And one of the big ones I think is that there has to be um, credibility, uh, authenticity, and accessibility. Mm-hmm. And if you're not aware of that um, and cognizant of it in your planning process, it can really debilitate uh, the good um, that you're trying to do. So, you know, we spent a lot of time uh, getting buy-in because, uh, you know, bu- buying in military people, uh, let alone people in that organization, is uh, a challenge. And if, if you don't have buy-in and it doesn't work, what, what, what do you do? Mili- military people and special forces guys are resistant to change? Never. No. I know, right? I love how, like, in the infantry, it's like adapt and overcome, be like, but do we really have to? <laughs> I kind of thought that yeah. out. But yeah. Um, yeah, so we spent like a ton of time and, um, you know, we had to get the guys buy-in um, and it had to work. Uh, so it yeah. just, it was organic and it, you know, it started as a challenge and I surrounded me, myself with some individuals that uh, danced more crazy than I did. And it, uh, it, we ended up presenting it to the chain of command. Uh, as a yep. formal um, part of the process, and uh, what the re- end result was uh, was a peer support organization called the Family Wellness Network, um, and we operated in the gray space between the formal and the informal supports, um, and it was mm-hmm. it was fantastic because it was organic, um, so everything was authentic, uh, which was fantastic, and you know. <laughs> Special Forces guys don't t- typically tend to marry women that are not driven. So I was surrounded by these like brilliant women that were more than willing to um, to jump in. But more importantly, um, the men in uniform were just as eager because they know the importance of being supported, uh, especially when you're in deployments and when you're you know basically in the military. Um, so it yep. it kind of just it it flew. And it, you know, it got bigger than I could have ever imagined. 
Um, and I remember, I remember being challenged again about um, some something about like balls or things like like regimental balls. I was like, well, you should yeah. get the family wellness what work to have like some input in that. And then they're like, you know what, searching on that's a great idea. You guys should run the ball. And I was like, wait a second, what? <laughs> and I I remember going home and just being like, what have I done? Like, what have I yeah. done? Uh, and I yep. went to um, who now ends up being uh, my closest friend. Uh, I showed up on her doorstep and I was like, I've made a very big mistake I'm over my head. Um, and she jumped on and uh, it just, it went from there. So it was, you know, very, very demonstrative of how an organic thing just just goes. And it, mm-hmm. you know, it demonstrates the, the requirement for that support. And I think that that is an important factor when dealing with peer supports as well, is that like, if you're involved in a peer support organization and it kind of filters out, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It might be that the service is not necessarily required or even better, mm-hmm. um, it, it's not required because um, that issue no longer exists which is fantastic, right? For like a peer support organization yep. to work themselves out of a job. Um, it's just yeah, absolutely. fantastic. Um, unfortunately, I think with the, you know, the things we're exposed to in the military, uh, peer support is uh, critical in, in yes. every element. And I mean, if I could, if a girl could dream, like I put peer support organizations like right into BMQ and like all the way up. Yep. Um, and you know, maybe that, maybe that'll happen, but. You know, I was just having a conversation with my massage therapist earlier about, um, <clears throat> so she works for, she's like her own contractor, but she also works for Team Canada and works on like track and swim teams and all cool. these things. And um, the athletes for each group have like actual wellness teams. They have psychologists there. They have massage therapists there. They have chiropractors there, acupuncturists there. They have like it. So whatever you need, as a Team Canada athlete, it's there for you in terms of support. And I was saying that it, it kind of blows me away that we don't have something like that in units because one PPCLI or friggin', um, you know, the RCR, the engineers, the tankers, if they had an actual like in-house massage therapist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, and psychologist, you, you would see massive declines in issues. Oh, for sure. I would personally and- like to see that memo for uh, in-house um massage therapist go up the chain like i'd love to read the minutes on that one <laughs> right that'd be fantastic you have random colonels being like uh <laughs> yeah yeah um but uh, you know that's what it comes down to is that what you need to do is as, as you did uh be the change you want to see right like that that is your um if you want something to change you have to be that person that says okay you know what i don't like this i'm going to change it and then uh when I was instructing, we did a BMOQ land, the uh, the phase two for the awesome. officers. And uh, we started started doing like uh, counter IED training, just basic, um, they called it ETHAR. It was not ETHAR. ETHAR is Explosive Threat Hazard Awareness and Recognition. And it's something taught by the engineers. <laughs> it is super boring and sucks balls. Um, super catchy name but I started te- super catchy super catchy name yeah um this is why we need acronyms in the army right <laughs> um so we we were teaching this class and i'm like this is all counter ied stuff it's fives and 20s it's like it's the basics of 
IED awareness. There was nothing on mines. There was nothing on unexplored ordnance. There was nothing on bombs. There was not, none of it. And I was like, this is not right. acceptable. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't just leave a bunch of these troops with no concept of what uh, a UXO is. And uh, so I took up my chain of command. I was like, hey, man, like this Ethar program is not an Ethar program. And normally Ethar is spent, like, I have three days to just yeah, do I was going to say, I thought it was a couple of days when I did it. Yeah. And, you know, it's dry and it kind of sucks because you're sitting there staring at pictures. And I had this one example. I was at 408 Squadron and this uh, this captain raised their hand and she's like, uh, I fly helicopters. What do I need to know about landmines? And I'm like, well, I'm glad you asked that, ma'am. And I, tur- I uh, oh. flipped the slide and it was a, a Russian anti-helicopter mine. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Did you so. The ground at some point? Like, how, how, that's also the, the yeah. Yeah, it does. It actually does land at times, too, and can touch the ground that could have my... Anyway, I went into this whole thing with her, and it turned into a really great learning yeah. point, but it was perfectly timed because the next slide was the anti-helicopter mine. And I was just like, this one's uh, set up by radar, or set off by radar, and it's basically a giant claymore that shoots ball bearings into the sky at, uh, at helicopters. Anyway, the... Uh, so I went through this. I'm like, this three days, how do I compress it? And they're like, well, I mean, if you can figure out a way, do it. You have like this block of time. So I spent some time and I pounded it out okay. and built a program that had the basics of UXOs and uh, IEDs and, uh, and mines and <clears throat> basics, right? We went outside for an hour and did some prodding. <laughs> and it was just basic training, right? And uh, I passed it up the chain of command. It came back down. They said, yeah, it's approved. And about a week later, I was teaching another course and I was actually doing the prodding thing with them. And my, uh, my captain came out and he was like, Hey, uh, Master of Worlds, just so you know, um, the three candiv or four candiv has accepted this and is now installing it into all training SQs and BMLQ lands. So that's going to be their new Ether program throughout the whole thing. And then I heard like a little bit later, they're like, yeah, basically, uh, I can't remember. Is it, is it two Candiv? Is all East Coast? I can't remember. It's been so many years. Anyway, basically, the East side of Canada just accepted it. And they're like, this is now our training program for Ether. And I was just like, groovy. Like, <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad it's better than what right. it was. Um, but what that's, you, you know, I saw an issue. Well, yeah, but, and like, I saw the issue, exactly. right? I, I didn't like it. As an engineer, I was looking at it. This is not effective. I need to teach, I need to change it. And then I went up to change of command and change of command said, yeah, man, do it. And I did it and it changed things. And I think we don't see that often enough as young soldiers to want to push that initiative. And that initiative is a point <laughs> on our PER. <laughs> and there's the irony in that is just like, it's just, it's mind blowing when you think about it, because you know, when you join the military, you are no longer an individual, like at all. Like you literally mm-hmm. have the same pair of socks in the same part of your, well, in, in my time, it was the, your butt pack, but you know, yep. everybody's got their shit in the same spot. The only thing that differentiates you between the person standing next to you is your name tape. That's it. Like yep. right down to like your boot laces <clears throat> are exactly the same yep. or they should be. I still, I still tie my boots. I tie my boots the same way too. This habit. <laughs> well, you've been in for twenty years, but still. Just like still yeah. laced that way, so I just never take them undone. Um, yeah. But uh, oh no, I lost my train of thought. 
Oh, no. sorry about that. Okay. Um, we were talking, we were talking about, um, leading the, leading the charge, being the change you want to see. Yeah. Uh, I had changed stuff for young. Oh recruits. yeah. Yeah. So for like the young and so like, and you know, I think if I go a little further than that is that it's outside the box. That's what I was thinking. Get back to me. So, you know, we're, yes. we're individuals. And if you make the, like that, you know, you toe dip into the pool, um, and demonstrate that you are not an individual, you're punished for that. And so, you know, we are no longer a, an army uh, where we are blowing whistles and people are going up and over the top. Um, we are really mm -hmm. no longer a military um, that has a division between um, non-commissioned members and officers based on education. Uh, that, yeah. that, that it just, it, it's so melded these days, everybody is everything. And so, you know, when you have a system that's designed to punish um, or correct individuals who go outside the box without acknowledging the fact that there are individuals that when they think outside the box can really positively reshape um, some of the challenges that the institution is having. Um, and that's, you know, a, a huge point for people because, you know, outside the box thinking is, you know, what people pay millions of dollars for in the private sector and, you know, in yep. the military. It's just, you know, no, no, no. <laughs> Rain it back in there, buddy. Yeah, right? exactly. And that, and, and that makes it hard, it, uh, you know, on the outside. And then, you know, you, you, you layer on the rank structure on top of that, where, you know, you might have a private who's got, you know, a master's degree in blah, 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 and just wants to come out and serve. And as you know, join the combat engineers or, or somebody who was already trained as an engineer on the civilian side and they come in, you yep. know, they might know something and we don't really have a system in place for someone to be like, ah, that's not working. Yeah. You... Yep. How many times did we hear, uh, you know, whatever it is, ask a question, there's no stupid questions. And you know what? Anybody that's been around an infantry platoon anywhere, there are stupid questions. There are there are there are stupid questions. Yeah, there are stupid questions <laughs> that result in significant punishment well after you've said it. Oh yes, and you know the uh, the funny thing is though is that all it takes is one good leader to go. Why is that kid asking that question? Absolutely. And then and then just pulling at that thread like, okay, well, I, I had a we were doing a. Uh, I can't remember. Oh, right. We had somebody from the hill come down and teach us um, Fibula, doing room clearance stuff. And we were like, we're getting sweet. Like, this is going to be wicked. Bunch of engineers getting to go in and actually right? uh, do room clearances. We were, and you know, you know, room clearance is friggin' amazing. That is the highest intensity thing you can yeah. do. So much fun. It's like 4D. Add explosives into that, and you're like, like that is the ultimate dream. Anyway, uh, we were sitting in class and we were doing the whole PowerPoint. Okay, this is how you do presentation. This is when you come around the corner, you want to be square, blah, blah, blah. If the dude takes a round, push him out of the way, carry on to the room, all these things, right? And one of the guys uh, put his hand up and he's like, so what happens if you get shot in the face? And <laughs> it, it honestly, to his credit, the instructor took a second. And he was like, uh, you don't have a choice I'm, at that point? <laughs> You, you push them off to the side again, like you just kind of push them off and you carry on. Um, but the, the, the thing that I took out of that years later was the fact that 
what made him ask that question? What was it that actually made him go, I'm not getting enough specifics in this particular environment. What is it that I need to know? Um, and we found out later after we actually sat down and uh, did like a round table on it was the fact that he was trying to figure out based on trajectory, how the person falls, if it's easier to pull them out of the oh, room or oh. if it's push them into the room. And so we were like, okay, that like, that makes more That's sense in terms of that question. Nice. But in the moment we were all like, what kind of question is that? What is <laughs> Dude, get shot in the face. He's dead. Move him out of the way. Like, Carry on. Yeah. But you know, one good leader to go, let's, yeah. There's some, there's more here. What is it? We got to figure it out. And then it's interesting that you said that because like I'm having a, like a parenthood moment, uh, which can totally be translated into like leadership. Because I mean, really, like combat arms were just like big groups of children. So you just parent. Yeah, them. absolutely. Yeah. And, and you have to manage them like a group of children. Like, <laughs> Everybody hold hands and walk down the street. You know those wagons that like daycare providers have that have like all the connected cabooses? <laughs> like each section's just got one going down. Like. Yep. <laughs> but uh, like what I was thinking is that um, I read an article that really stuck with me um, years ago before I was even a mom. And it was talking about um, like parents that are, are super frustrated with their kids because like they dilly dally and like they do their own thing and they're just like stand and stare at the sky and you're just like, oh my goodness. Uh, and she yep. had written it from the perspective uh, where you know, when she was on a walk with her kid and she was like, we got to get places like, and he was just standing there, like looking at the ground and she comes over and instead of being like, all right, buddy, like we got to go. It was like, well, uh, like, what are you doing? But genuinely interested. And it turns out, I guess he was like super curious because there were a bunch of ants that were moving like mm. in, um, in a line. And I've had that experience with my daughter where I've like, I've, caught her and she's just like standing up but it's because she's seen a bird and then you know we can go and have a dialogue outside of that but that's you know perspective and I think that that can be applied in um leadership as well is that you know we all joke about that you know the, the institution is just like the softest machine right like you come in and then you like you get pushed out the other end so like we're all replaceable mm -hmm. but anytime somebody brings you know uh, a, a question about doctrine or policy or why we do things and you know mm -hmm. the hand goes up i don't know why the institution as a culture um takes that as like a personal offense like it's not it's, yeah. it's not against you the world has changed you know if we taught the same tactics yeah. um in battle school that in 1910 that we do now like we would not be very effective so, you know, things change. Um, and I mean, you mm -hmm. know, if you, you tie peer support so closely to mental health, World War I, um, PTSD was a character flaw. And yep. 2021, we understand that not only is that absolutely not the case, there are predetermined factors, there are risk categories, there are genetics and biological, and there is all these pieces. So, you know, we have to be willing to change and you know not to be like the children are the future like the privates are a future but like there is a private out they there are. right now that is going to be the cds <clears throat> yep. there's it's going to be out there and you know who his corporal and master corporal and all of those people moving 
him through um, his developmental process or her, I should, I take that back, their developmental process. um, That's going to shape what the CDS looks like in 20, 30 years. Um, And that's where I think leading change um, has to come in. So like, I mean, I've been in for 20 years. I joined not very long after women were allowed in the combat arms. Uh, and experiences mm-hmm. were very different then than they are now. Um, and the way they are now um, are definitely more positive than the way they were back then. But that's because things changed. Um, and, yep. you know, you have to be you have to be willing to ad- literally adapt and overcome. It's almost written into our doctrine. Right. I think I've heard that somewhere before. Right. Hmm. Yeah. So, like, that's, <laughs> like, that's where it, I think you know, one of the biggest challenges in the institution is. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think what it comes down to is a, we don't um, develop humility. <laughs> and I think a lot of it comes from the fact that we're constantly set against each other. Right. So you're trying to better, you're trying to be better than the other guy without realizing that the actual struggle is being better than yourself, right? It, it, it doesn't matter that that guy can run a six minute mile, right? It doesn't matter. What can I run? I can run a seven minute mile. Okay, cool. Can I run a 659 tomorrow, right? And can I make the, can I leave the army a little bit better than when I got there? And I mean, it's sad that there is a, uh, there's a stereotype of the salty corporal, right? The guy that's been there, he's a corporal, he's pissed off, he hates the army, but he never leaves. That works in the kit <laughs> shop. Just, you know, he works in the kit shop or he's in the canteen or he, like, he's constantly seen by everybody and he hates the world. And I was that guy for a little while. Um, and it wasn't until I recognized that I was putting myself in those positions, mm. but I needed the humility to actually say, oh, Right. I, it, it is me. It's not the Sergeant major that hates me, even though that guy and I had a, a falling out as a salty corporal at, or like if I was a master corporal or a Sergeant and I looked at this corporal who just hates life, why would I send him on course? Right. He makes, he makes me look bad. He makes the unit look bad. He makes everyone look bad. I'm not going to send him on a friggin', uh, what did I ask for? I said, I asked for a master breacher course down in the States that's run through like Blackwater and stuff. No, you're not going. (laughs) Yeah, you're not going. Like, I get it now. It, at the time I was like, well, fuck you, man. I put all the work in to get this, but now I'm not getting anything out of it. And I realized that that was me. It wasn't the Sergeant Major that hated me. It wasn't this guy that, you know, had issues with. It was me. And the humility to actually understand that came years later. Uh, it was actually probably maybe a year or two ago when I actually finally like, ah, yeah. <laughs> I was the root of all I, my problems. Uh, like that's so hard too, because, you know, I find that as I'm moving out of the tail end of my transition, and I mean, I, I know I've got chapters to go, um, that's really where there's a lot of self-awareness and recognition that comes if you do the work, right? Like if, you, if you're willing yep. to do the work um, and you know, you can take a look at back over your past experiences and you have those like mm, moments like, ah, that was not maybe the greatest of choices. But I think, you know, if in peer support, there isn't this requirement for humility because it just comes naturally for the most part. You know, there's obviously going to be 
individuals, when you first come in, you're going to be guarded. Um, but that humility is just open most of the time because people who are um, willing to volunteer as peer um, supporters are people that are like super yeah. open with being uh, like normalizing the experience. Um, so humility doesn't really have to be there. And I think that that's, um, or it doesn't have to be taught. It just comes organically. So what's yeah. interesting I find about that is that those groups are incredibly cohesive and there is so much positive that comes out of it and they just they function um in a way that like you can't teach so mm -hmm. if we had the capacity to integrate that into our institution so that you had a group of soldiers that were so cohesive and so communicative to each other could you possibly imagine how tactically potent we could be like mm-hmm Oh my goodness. It, yeah. Oh my goodness. Like <clears throat> yep. I did not like, you know, if you don't jump out of aircrafts in the military, like, are you really doing it? Like goodness, <laughs> it's a terrible experience. Um, but you know, we, yeah. we pit ourselves against that and we, you know, we put, uh, we put that up on a puzzle as like something that like you have to do. So like, if you do it, it's cool. And it's like super badass. Yeah. And like nobody talks mm -hmm. about the fact that like almost every single person on the plane on the way up is like, I'm gonna shit myself right now. Yep. Like I'm gonna poop myself yep. right now. And yep. your hands are sweating. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, like, and that's actually a term like in um, on combat. Like it's, it's called a battle shit, and it's yep. it's part of the physiological process for a stress response because you're going to jump out of an aircraft with a significant amount of weight on you. Yep. So like yep. this is a normal reaction. Like we laugh, but like this is a normal reaction. Like, you know, you see the old guys that like just that's all they do. You're like, ah, I'm on my like seven thousandth jump. You're like, I don't know if that's safe in your brain. But you know, we nobody talks about it. Um and when I yep. went to Petawawa, and that was the first time that I actually started having conversations with my peers where people were like, I fucking hate it. Like, I hate mm -hmm. it so much. And I was like, really? Like, no, wouldn't it be so awesome to know, like, as you're hanging onto the static line, that, like, all the sheep that are with you are experiencing the exact same thing? Yep. Wow. Wouldn't yep. that make the experience I never, completely different? I, I never got the opportunity to jump. I wanted to be a jumper for many years. You're back. Uh, I Thanks still would like to jump at some it. point. Oh, my back is already trashed, and yeah, it would be <laughs> That's true. like I would come in like a fucking lawn dart too, right? Like I'm two twenty plus another hundred pound worth of yeah, ruck, and like, like I, would <laughs> be yeah, there'd be no. Uh, I don't care how my legs and were, my feet and knees together. <laughs> mm -mm, I'm going three feet into the ground, just thunk, and that's gonna be it. <laughs> um, but I also realized, you know, this is all the other thing that uh, I was going to talk about earlier, and I forgot, but. Um, we all do this regularly. As an engineer, I look at the infantry guys and I'm like, you guys are fucking nuts, right? And I hear a story about, oh yeah, so I was like doing this patrol and then we got shot at and then I ran through open ground and then I'm like, I'm like, are you fucking insane? Like, are you insane? And then they'll be, that's horrible, right? And then uh, I'll be telling a story about something. And I'll be like, yeah, so I pulled the C4 out of my backpack and then I pulled the debt cord out of my leg pocket and then I took my smoke pack out and took the debt out and stuck it in and then put it beside the bomb and pulled the smoke and I ran off. And they're like, are you, are you, you, you what? 
he did what? And it's it's nothing for me. Like I, whatever. You talk to the armored guys. You talk to the artillery. Foo facts. They're doing like every one of us look at each other and going like, "Are you insane?" <laughs> but I need you. But absolutely, and it's the uh, but it's the fact that it's normalized. Yeah. Right. As as the infantry, it's expected that you want to be a jumper. You want to be, you know, in the engineers, it's expected that you want to be a diver. I, I don't I never wanted to be a diver. No, I no desire to do that. I uh, it's a nasty way to go down if you have to go down. <laughs> you know, uh, but that's the expectation. Yes, absolutely. Right. If And so for us, when it comes to explosives, for us, we're like, whatever. You know, fuck, yeah, sure. Let's throw some charges on that. And we'll do whatever. Right. Blah, blah, blah. And I know I remember. I was talking to a civilian guy that does demolitions and I was like, yeah, so I had my debts and my smoke pack in my arm. And he's like, are you, are you insane? <laughs> Why would you do that? I'm like, I separated them by cigarettes, right? Like <laughs> what are you going to carry around a steel tin like this with them all separated? Like, ah, um, but it's normalized for us. And you're right. If you were sitting in the plane and it was normal, everyone was sitting there going like, you will, you may be experiencing panic right now. It's okay. Breathe. And then even if you were to go step like a forward. step forward, be like, we recognize that there could be stress responses. This is how you can mitigate them. Exactly. Like, that yep. would be fantastic. Yep. Um, you said something there that uh, I think really links back to peer support too, in that, you know, Everybody does their crazy shit, right? Like, what, you ran across where? You did what? Yeah. And civilians yeah. don't understand that because they can't have that same experience. Um, and just like, you know, maybe like, I wouldn't be super comfortable carrying C4 the way you carry a C4, but like, that's your experience. And even though that there are traumas, right? Like, there are going to be like, you know, if you can't really be in the middle of a tick um, and a lot of stuff go down and not expect that there is an exposure to trauma. Mm -hmm. But in that trauma, you know, so like, let's take that memory of, let's say a tick, right? Um, and there is exposure to trauma. There's a, a negative aspect to that, but soldiers understand that there are some super positive memories that come from the exact same experience. And just like we can't understand why like the different combat arms and different trades do what they do, because like, that's just fucked. Um, Mm -hmm. We have to be able to um, have that cultural competency and that mutual understanding where, you know, you can have a conversation with someone about a traumatic experience where there were times where you were happy, excited, and um, more cohesive with a group of soldiers than can ever truly be put into words. Um, mm -hmm. and then, you know, like maybe there was some shit that went down where like you performed like a rock star, right? Like there are, are very positive experiences and very positive emotions that are attached to traumatic experiences for soldiers in combat or like, or not even in combat, like in, in any traumatic yep. experience and that you can't explain. So that peer support is where that, that, is allowed to occur and is a further yeah. ability to normalize those experiences because you know integrating back into a civilian population is really hard like let alone like you gotta drop the f-bombs but like you gotta stop talking in acronyms and you know if that in itself is a challenge let alone trying to understand or relate to somebody who cannot understand why you would carry c4 in your pocket like that. yeah and think that that was awesome and think that that was awesome right like right 
I loved having C4 in my pocket. Exactly. <laughs> that was awesome. And it's, and that yeah. is, you know, one of the biggest hurdles for people to get over is that, you know, you have these negative experiences that are directly tied with positive life changing experiences and only yeah. people who have been through that can really connect. Yeah. And the fact that it's okay. Absolutely. Right? That, 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 like that, you know, I heard this on the the Jocko podcast at one point in time, and he was just like, "Being in combat was the greatest experience yeah. of my life." And you know what? Yeah, absolutely. It it was. I talked to um, Seb Lavois. He's a RCMP ERT guy yeah. on my last yeah. podcast, and we were talking about synergy and like when you you know people just mesh and you start working together and everything starts just happening without you guys needing to talk and you can just do things. And you know when you're under combat or when you're under contact and People are just, everything is yeah, happening. And somebody asked me, uh, somebody asked me once about the, like, do you actually like think about what's happening and blah, blah, blah. And I, no, I told him the story. I was like, uh, I was, I was the guy, you know, the dude that asks, um, if your, uh, if your gas mask is part of the FFO. Oh my God. I was just supposed to say, I'm like, are you yeah, there? Like, um, do we have to wear a helmet? Like, shut up. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I'm that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, you know what, I remember, Bros, I was, we do have to wear our helmets. <laughs> yes, I, I am that guy. And I remember sitting on a wall in Afghanistan and the boys had gotten into a, a big uh, brew up the night before, the day before on a patrol. And so I finally got to go out. Um, I had my machine gun. I was like excited. I was like, yeah, this is, we're going to get this. And yeah. And y you know that, uh, you know, if they don't shoot at you by nine, they're probably not going to shoot at you that day. And it was like 8.55, and I was like, fucking son of a bitch. And I'm sitting on this wall, and I'm like, man, if they don't shoot at me today, I'm going to be fucking pissed carrying around this machine gun for no goddamn right. reason. And within a minute, like right past me, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, it's on. <laughs> and, but I was that guy, and uh, I dropped my, uh, I think I had a, like a 100-round teaser belt on my 9 and just, threw it in that direction and started reloading and I had a new box in and I was throwing it down and racking the thing back before I even realized like, Oh, I think I need to reload. Right. Okay. I'm good. And then we just, Oh kept my going. gosh. Immediate actions do work. They do hurt, but it's that, it's that synergy yeah. in that while I was reloading, my fire team partner was shooting. Like I had just dropped to a knee. We didn't even talk yep. about it. Just boom. He popped up, started shooting. I came back up, he went down and, all along the line, that was happening. People were just moving and shooting and da, 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 and nobody talked about it. And it was unbelievably exhilarating to be working in that kind of environment. I think just specifically because of that, yes. right? Like there was no thought, there was no processing. It was just work, get it done, move to the next piece. And I think in peer support, this is where you, you, you can gain that oh, back. Yeah because you're surrounded by people that know what that's Absolutely. like. And, and if you're having a hard time, like if I had a stoppage on my nine, I would just yell stoppage and everybody would understand and do what needed exactly. to be done while I was sorting that out. Uh, and in peer support, you know, if you're having a bad day, okay, cool. Yeah, I, 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 we'll all like be I had there. a bad day a couple days ago. Like it, that's the conversation that you can, you can have. Uh, interestingly, uh, before I started the Family Wellness Network, I was on my like first deployment as a spouse, uh, and uh, we had had you know a wicked argument the night before, uh, and then like he, he left in like 
all hours of the morning because like why would we leave at normal times and uh no, can't right? do that. and i went to a close friend's house to drop something off and she had a beautiful bouquet of flowers on her table and in my head i'm just like oh yeah your husband gets you flowers before you go mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're like oh those are really nice flowers and i remember she looked at me and she's like yeah not really um we got in a huge fight last night and they're apology flowers and i was like wait <laughs> and like it was like that like really just kind of blew things open for me because it, it was normal and yeah i wasn't alone like how am i supposed to tell somebody that like my husband's going into a combat zone and uh you we got in a big fight like i'm a terrible spouse no man that's normal that's normal yep. like this is like like decades into this and like it still happens you learn to manage it a little bit better but like it's normal and, you know, I just, I imagine yeah. if I had had that conversation, you know, five deployments in, what those deployments might have looked like um, staying at home. So I think, you know, it's just so critical from like a mentor aspect in like the leading the change aspect. Like, And you don't even have to like do anything major. You can just, you know, volunteering in itself as a peer supporter for an organization can literally change the direction or save someone's life. Um, and that, and that's not to be underestimated, like the value, um, that really, really comes from that. And, uh, you know, I think that ties back to what we were talking about before, about soldiers being able to see, um, behaviors that will shape them so that, you know, the CDS in 20 to 30 years, private so-and-so right now, um, is shaped mm -hmm. in a way that's going to match the institution at that time. And um, I read uh, like a little, like, I don't know if it was a Facebook meme or a quote or like whatever it was, but basically um, uh, there was a, an anecdote about a Sergeant Major uh, who uh, like made it very known that he was like walking his way up the compound. Yeah, and he would go to mental, mental health, health, right. And then yeah, someone's yeah, yeah. like, yeah, man, what are you there for? He's like, oh, I don't actually see him. And it's important for my soldiers to see that I go there. And that was just so emphatic for me because as a section commander i witnessed that challenge physically where soldiers you know mm -hmm. walking through the doors to mental health is almost more challenging than making the appointment and having somebody like literally just like walk you through those doors you know it's no skin off my back i have to be there anyway like let's go it no it normalizes yep. it um and that's you know, it's, it's a game changer. When I first came to the, um, I guess the JPSU at the time, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm very open about seeing a therapist. I'm a firm believer that I think that we should all get them when we're 12. So we're not figuring out our daddy issues in our thirties. So yep. that would be great. But, oh yeah, you know, I see a therapist, uh, like sometimes it's regularly, sometimes just maintenance. Sometimes I just need to like take my brain in for a tune up. Um, and you know, mm -hmm. like I rely on them. They're an incredible support system. So when I first came there, um, I was very open to be like, yeah, I've got a counseling appointment or like my therapist said that. And you can see some people like, oh, did she just say therapist? Yeah. Like, yes, yeah. therapist changes my yeah. world in like so many ways. <laughs> and, you know, I thought that that was, you know, important as a leader, but it was specifically important in that organization because those are the individuals that require those services. So like, I mean, like 
I don't know if everybody, anybody was ever like, oh man, Sergeant Young sees therapist. Maybe I'll see one too. Um, or maybe I just like explained a lot about myself to those people too. So, I mean, it could go either <laughs> way. It could go either way. Um, but it really comes A little of column A, a yeah, little of column B. But, you know, it, yeah. It, yeah. it's normalizing it because we're human. And that's, you know, a big part yep. of the military is that like, you know, you're either a soldier or a human. Like you don't get to be both, but like we are both. And if we can integrate yep. them more effectively and make it commonplace, uh, woo, we could be pretty powerful. <laughs> well, I mean, you look at the special forces units around the world, and they've been incorporating this for the last 10, yep. 15 years because combat has, like, especially in the States, you look at the SEALs or the Green Berets or uh, Delta or, like, those high-level organizations all integrate peer support. They integrate therapeutic uh, or therapy. They integrate, like, mental health. Yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's all developed into it because they've seen over the last 20 years of combat going, you know, these guys are fucking crazy. Maybe we should try. <laughs> Maybe do a little bit of like searching and try and figure out how to make this better. Um, but I think uh, it came down to like treating them like athletes, mm. right? Like the, the, these people are, you know, you know, tier one assaulter dudes are basically basically Olympic athletes. They, they train at the same pace, the same level. They're constantly working, constantly learning, constantly developing. And if you, the only way you really need to get to them is like, Hey man, do you want to be better? And you're like, yeah. They're like, Oh, okay. Well talk to this therapist. And you know, there was some hesitation in the first 10 years of Afghanistan and people going like, I don't want to talk to a doc, yeah. but over the years, they're like, you know, this actually helps you're getting better, more actuated uh, service members who can develop ideas and be introspective and think about things. And human. I tell the story a lot because, yeah, just human people, right? Um, my my granddad was an engineer in World oh, War II. Cool. Um, and for years, he thought of himself as a coward because he was not at the front doing the work up there. He was like rebuilding railroads and getting supply tracks, getting started and all that stuff. And never talked about the war. I never heard him say a word about it up until like little yeah. tidbits that I'd hear from outside conversations with a kid, right? And 76 years, or well, he died a couple of years ago. So 74 years, something like that. Um, he never said a word about it to anybody except for those little bits and pieces. And he suffered in silence for 70 plus years. And I remember getting back from Afghanistan and I sat down with him and he gave me a little nod and I gave him a little nod and we just kind of like, like we yeah. get it. Right. And, uh, and then he started talking to me about yeah. it and then we started talking about it. And then, you know, we were able to converse about it cause he had a peer in me all mm -hmm. of a sudden, but without that, he would have gone his whole life. He would have died at, you know, at, uh, 93 and been like, oh. You know, I never got to experience what that was like to have that connection. And he never, never went to Remembrance Day ceremony, never did any of those things. And uh, I, I like, after that little sit down, when I first got back from Afghanistan, I'm like, I am never going to be that guy. I, I'm going to be as open and clear as possible about my own issues and my dealings with therapy. And I mean, I'm online pretty regularly now and I'm posting stuff, you know, I'm having an impressive episode. I feel like shit yeah. right now, blah, 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 because that's how we normalize it. That's how we say this is okay. It's perfectly fine. Just keep moving forward, right? You can't fall back on it and uh, let yourself 
you know, just waste away yeah. to it. Oh, and that, that goes um, back to the lead and change thing that you were talking about too, is where like you can be the person that's just like, yeah, today sucks. Like I got triggers out, like the hoops, they're everywhere. As opposed to just being mm-hmm. like, oh, no, I'm fine. Because like yeah, what happens when good. that person has triggers and they're like, oh no, I'm fine. And then yep. you have something called generational trauma. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I look at my mom who was, uh, she was a hippie. She was 18 in 1968 and like did, uh, or 1970, she was a hippie. She, she did, she used to like, uh, hitchhike across the States, like back in the sixties and stuff, like straight up hippie. Oh boy. Yeah. We, uh, um, she didn't really like the fact that I wanted to join the army, but (laughs) whatever. But the, uh, I was going to say like, you can see the trauma from, what she experienced with my granddad to what we experienced versus when we were kids or her kids and what I've experienced as an adult. Um, and generational trauma is a very real thing. And if you don't, if you don't stop it, it's just going to carry on. And you see this in alcoholics and, um, people that have grown up in abusive families and stuff. It, It usually passes on to the next generation, unless there's somebody that goes, no, I'm not doing that. And they left turn. I'm going to take this route. I'm going to take the hard way and like push through. Um, but on that note, on a awesome high note, (laughs) we've been, we've been rolling for about an hour and a half. Uh, it's been a fantastic conversation. I can't thank you enough for being on here. Um, that I'm, there's going to be so many great points that people are going to pull from this. And I am really excited. Um, do you have any final points, anything on, peer support that you oh, don't think we've covered or no, want to get like off your chest real quick? Like peer support's a very dangerous topic for me. Like I could just go for like eight more hours, but you know, it's the process is hard, but the supports are out there. Um, and if mm-hmm. you're willing to put the work in to find the right connection, um, I don't want to make like a full sales push with like a complete hundred percent guarantee, but it can connect with the right people it can be life-changing and and they're out there yeah. like you're out there i'm out there like i don't know if people want to connect with me but like they can like i it's uh, there are people out there that are have gone through this process and they're willing to help yep yep and you know the, the best thing is is that you don't have to be perfect you don't have to have a full recovery tomorrow you just need to get slightly better than you were yesterday and if you can be slightly better than you were yesterday then you have moved yeah, forward absolutely or even if for a couple of days you just got to stay at the same place yeah yeah man mark time hold mark time yeah. it's cool hold position you're good man just hang out and when in doubt rack out right just i love it <laughs> <laughs> um so if anybody would like to follow you social media wise do you have anything that uh if you want, if not, yeah. we can just Um, I feel this. like I'm old. Like I don't have Instagram or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm legit on Facebook. Uh, you can reach me at Whitney Young um, and like reach out to me on Facebook uh, and we connect uh, through email uh, or anything like that. And, you know, virtual is pretty good too. So uh, um, I'm a big advocate of that. And I, you know, I, it goes back to the army answer of like, if I don't know the answer, I'll find it for you. But, um, you know, if, if I can't provide that for you, I'll do my best to uh, connect people to the resources that are out there. Wicked, wicked. Well, again, 
Thank you very Thank much, Whitney. It has, been, it has been my pleasure having you on here, and my flag yeah, is falling down. Yeah, I just noticed. Down, I'm so like, gotta... oh, it's going down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's going down. Got to stop before it hits the ground. Um, but yeah, I, I can't thank, thank you enough. Thank you for having it's me. Been fantastic. And I hope to, uh, I have another project that I'm working on that I think you might be in, uh, you might want to be involved in. So hopefully we'll yeah, do that let's too. Connect. Right. That concludes this episode of the toolbox. I really appreciate y'all listening. It has been my pleasure bringing you this awesome guest. If you like what you heard, please like share, subscribe and do all that awesome stuff. And I hope you can use some of the information that was offered to all those putting on the line every day, first responders, military, veterans, civil servants. You guys are keeping us safe and keeping the country running. I really appreciate y'all. Hope to see you next time. Till then, stay open, stay humble, and stay focused. Shalom.